you're here. You arrived. You made it. And you would have just, if you're a patron, you would have seen um, me try to dance right now. But if you're just listening, hey, welcome to the podcast. Hi. You've arrived. Um, season two, Zabuma Foolish. Here we are. And we have to get, we have to jump right into the gate because I have a lot to talk about and I'm not trying to waste your time today. And so in the great words of Sadiq, brother of Kalechi from Say Your Mind podcast, the girlies are fighting. The girlies are fighting. The girlies are fighting. If you are not on Instagram, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about and you have not seen the explosion of comments and um, DMs that I'm sort of getting around this post that I made uh, last week around honey. Yeah, I made this post, or I guess not last week, just a couple days ago, actually, about why I stopped eating honey. And oof, a, a lot of people had a lot to say. And so I thought it would be a good idea to maybe just come on here and spend the first episode addressing some of the concerns around honeybees that were mentioned. Now, you know I like to start off the episodes like a little bit light. So, oh, well, maybe you don't. Maybe this is the first episode you're listening to, in which case, what are you doing? You should not be here. Go to episode one. Go to, actually, go to episode zero so you have like an understanding of the segments of what's going on and then maybe listen to some episodes from season from season one i know it's a little crunchy munchy but you know (laughs) just go check that out before coming here uh because you might be a little bit confused otherwise anyway hi for those of you who have been with me from the jump who know what's good who know what to expect you know that jump of the episode right i like to do a little thing called animal of the week where i just give you a little boops about animals little flippity flaps little fickety facts and i thought it would be a good idea to maybe zoom out a bit and just talk about bees before going into like the specific issues around honeybees, you know? So what do we know about bees? Like, what are, what are you sitting here? You're like listening to the podcast. You're like, what, what do I know about bees? Also, if you're a patron, you can also now be watching this podcast because I will be recording these episodes, make little videos for y'all. However, I'm, I'm not going to be doing this for every episode. I am still only one person and I'm doing my master's and I'm doing all these other things. So it's like I I only have a finite amount of time. So I'm not going to be able to commit to a video for every episode. But if you're a patron, you can expect most episodes will have a video for you. And if you are not a patron, then you can um, just enjoy enjoy this lovely little moment uh together that we get to have through your ears through the audio waves yes and if you do want to check out the visual situation that's happening with this podcast head over to patreon.com slash jaunting j okay this is enough of plugging i need to really get into the episode about bees because this is what we're talking about right so bees they're around like what twenty thousand or so species of bees yeah twenty thousand i know it's a lot um and the majority of them don't make honey actually (laughs) yeah and they don't like make hives yeah they're like more burrowers or they're like like yeah we'll dig into things or even like underground and they don't even make like beeswax or any of that good good so it's it's a pretty much a gag when i see that so much of the conversation around bees online is strictly about honeybees like people will not have that same 
like passion, that same fire to talk about native bee populations at all. I'm like, I'll be like, hey, like, what about minor bees? And they'll be like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, what about carpenter bees? They're like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, so we're gonna need to, we're gonna need to talk about, um, we're gonna need to talk about bees. And I'm not gonna, this is not an episode where I'm just gonna be going through all the bee species. Like, I'm sorry, this is not the beginning of Finding Nemo. I am not a giant stingray. We are not gonna name the zones, but I am gonna talk to you a little bit about kind of like making the case for bee intelligence because they are so incredibly smart, like so, so wildly smart. Their, their intellect blows my mind. And I think why I'm really blown away by them is because they practice such complex forms of nonverbal communication that are so accurate. Like it just, it blows my mind. Like, I mean, as humans, we have also created a lot of nonverbal forms of communication, right? We have, you know, body language. We also have more like official systems like sign language, um, both American Sign Language and other versions. But I just think that it's, I mean, sign language is, a, it's a whole other thing. Like in terms of people being able to understand sign language, like, the general public, I don't think, has the literacy necessary to understand that and like translate sign language like perfectly. Um, and similarly to body language, right? Like we lack the ability to like just perfectly being able to understand these sort of like nonverbal cues. Granted, I this may, this maybe I'm like catching myself here now. I'm like this is sounding a little ableist. Like no, we can communicate through nonverbal means effectively. Don't get me wrong. There are definitely people who can like understand that perfectly. I am not trying to erase individuals who. Have have, you know, um, hearing conditions. Um, but I'm just trying to communicate the sense that like, if you were to ask me to tell you where the spaghetti sauce was in the grocery store down the street, without any words, it would, I would, I would think that I, it would be difficult for me, right? And for me to do it as fast as bees can do that. It's like, it literally, they do it within a matter of seconds. So what am I talking about? You're like, how do they do this? How, what are you talking about? So they call, it's called the waggle dance. Yes, that's right. A wiggle, a wiggle, a wiggle, a dance. Ooh, it's in your pants. Um, no, so they dance, it's called the waggle dance. And what they do is they essentially, once a, a honeybee comes back to the hive, they will do this elaborate dance to then try and show all the other workers where this amazing resource is. So picture this, okay? You're a honeybee and you're buzzing around, okay? You're like living your best life. And then oh, what's that to your left? You come across this beautiful, brilliant patch of flowers and you're like, oh, gag, Chandra, I need to go and tell everyone about this because I'm full. Like I'm, I already, I done eight today, okay? I had two smoothies, I had a shake and I'm on my way back to the hive, but like everyone else go and look at this amazing offer. It's multiple two for one specials here. You got a daisy and a daffodil. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting way off track here. So you get to the hive, what do you do? Well, the first thing is you start by walking in a very straight line, just wiggling your abdomen. <laughs> Apologies to those watching right now. I am trying to visualize this and it is, I'm realizing it's a bit of a mess, but hey. Um, once you have everyone's attention, okay, that's when the real fun begins. That's when the wiggle, the iggle, the diggle, the dance actually comes into play. And so bees will do this very intricate wiggle. So I'm going to show you on the screen now. And it's you're literally just vibing and buzzing in a figure eight pattern. 
and now this is the thing, right? Is like, how does that tell bees where to go and like how far to fly and where to stop and what to look out for? It's the angle that the bee who's dancing, so that the angle that they're facing and the the speed of their buzzing, because it's not the same throughout the dance. We'll be like a little bit here, a do, 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 there, a do, a do, a do, two step here, do, a ka, 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 a one, and two, and two, do, 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 do. So all of those sort of variations, right, in their vibrations and the angle that they're facing while they're making those vibrational changes communicates to the bees perfectly where they need to go and what they need to get. Isn't that, I mean, multiple, multiple examples we can pull up to like make the case for intelligence and bees but wow that for me the spatial memory required the the just the memory required to be able to recall all that information right let alone being able to relate that information then to the physical space that you're all occupying and then oh it's just being able to also have an understanding of what those resources are visually or by other chemical scents. Like, it's just, it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. So for me, that alone, the intelligence, the complexity, the sort of interaction that honeybees are just getting out to in their day-to-day tells me first and foremost that I, 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 as an individual, definitely don't have the knowledge, right, or the understanding of these complexities to warrant my, I guess, like participation in a system that extracts their labor and it gives them nothing in return. So again, goes hearkening back to sort of why I'm like, I stopped eating honey because yeah, like y'all, how could you hear all that and still be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We understand bees enough to like manage them and we know what to do and all the things are going to be perfect and fine and small scale and la la. It's like, no, that's not the case. It's not the case. Just even looking at what we have yet to discover when it comes to bee intelligence, it's like, and bee socialization. Ooh, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. But now I feel like I'm entering down a rabbit hole or maybe a beehive hole, (laughs) if you will. Um, And I'm going to, we're going to move on. We have to, because it's like, I've talked about all the bees. Actually, you know what? A little bit, a little bit of context for y'all so you can feel a little bit more connected, right? Is that I... I mean, I've, I eat honey for like 20-something years, okay? So I'm like, I'm not innocent here. I'm just trying to communicate, you know, we should all need to be shifting in a different direction when it comes to honey consumption. But my relationship with bees started like far before I started eating honey. Like when I was like in elementary school, that doesn't make any sense what you just said. If you've been eating honey for 20 years, how could your relationship with bees started before that? Anyway. Point of the story is, I when I was younger, me and my best friend Danny San would go out into the garden um, of our school, and we would capture bees. We would either just like use our hands and like capture them, or we would like have Ziploc bags and capture them, and then we would like bring them inside, and we would like play this game called Release the Bees. So like, I'm I'm not perfect here. Okay, I need y'all to understand that I'm not this like bee advocate who has done nothing wrong by the bees it's like no like i've also sat in the boat that is questionable so know that i when i'm like coming at y'all for like to change your actions around honeybee consumption it's it's genuine like i need y'all to actually listen to what i have to say because it's not like i've just like been team no honey forever and always you know what i'm saying um 
but even even people who have been doing that like listen to them too because ultimately like you need to start questioning your participation in extractive systems much more than you are much more than you are okay this was a very bizarre and kind of long-winded animal of the week introduction to honeybees intro to the bee situation actually no we haven't we haven't talked about honeybees enough we haven't talked about honeybees specifically enough right because i think that a lot of people will be like oh my gosh bees are cute bees are great bees are whatever right and honeybees are oh my gosh, we've been using them for what, like over 9,000 years to like waterproof and like do, we have like medicines with them. And I mean, most notably, right, as like a sweetener, right, is like the reasons why we've continued to foster and domesticate bees and use and take their honey. But it's like, mm, no, like we need to really look at the ways in which this sort of consumption and desire and demand for honey right has produced some really problematic situations like both locally and around the world and so now actually i'm, I'm going to zoom in a little bit granted also again the majority of this conversation is being spoken through a, a north american kind of lens you know like here honeybees are invasive like there are no native bee species to north america that produce honey and so when i'm talking about honey i think it's a little bit more complex also here in north america just because the honey industry then puts native bees in direct comp competition for pollination resources right and it also increases the risk right of disease and parasite transmission between these sort of domesticated hives that are working to produce honey and those that are just native populations just trying to exist and survive and live and reproduce right so that's the gag that's the gagatrandra and i if you're looking if you're like watching this now through like the patreon and you're like see like what are you looking at i have my notes here so I mean, I, I like I do a bunch of like note taking beforehand. So I'm not just trying to like shoot off the cuff because I do have ADHD. So it's very easy for me to like run amok with um, what I'm saying. But I think I've talked actually enough about Animal of the Week. We're going to maybe move into the next segment of the show, which is Experiment 6-2. Also, you'll notice I kind of took out the this that transitional sound for 626. We're just going to jump into it because I think that it was... It was just getting, it was a lot of sounds. There was like a lot of things happening. It was a little, it was a little too messy um, for me. So I, yeah, I was like, you know what? We don't need that, that really loud transitional sound. And let's just kind of get into 66 and just start talking about it. So for this week's paper, um, the paper is titled Beekeeping Management Practices are Associated with Operation Size and Beekeepers' Philosophy Towards In-Hive Chemicals. So this is actually wild. This is one of the first papers that actually tried to like quantify not only the like attitudes, the opinions of beekeepers, both from like an industrial scale to a small scale, but then it actually went on to like quantify management practices. Like it actually went on to like talk about what's being done. And I thought it was just like one of the most informative papers. So I'll make sure to go ahead and add this paper to um, the Patreon and to the extra content. Every, again, if you're just tuning in, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, you have no idea how it's set up, what's going on. Again, I don't know why 
you're doing that. But um, every week there's going to be extra content that's also posted with each episode. Um, the extra content will not be in video format. <laughs> There'll be some links to videos that like, you know, you should watch and whatever topical things. But for the most part, it'll literally just be like the sources for the things that I'm talking about, as well as some other articles that I think are interesting that'll like help, you know, continue your learning and the conversation. Um, around the topic at hand. And in this case, it's honeybees. So yeah, I'll make sure to link this paper in the Patreon. It was written by Robin M. Underwood, Brenna E. Traver, and Margarita M. Lopez Urbi. And this was done in January of 2019. So it's a very, a very recent paper. I, I, try, I like to keep my sources kind of recent because I mean, there's nothing wrong with old data, but it's like, if you're trying to be topical, we need to talk about like what's happening here now you know and this is the thing too right people be like always like oh my gosh you can't we can't wait for the science we can't trust the science i'm like there is science literally released every year every month like if you want to learn about a topic if you want to learn about a thing like there is always someone talking about it it's scientists incredibly competitive and people are always trying to like get the jump on their data or like present these things so it's just like yeah y'all don't be don't be fooled um don't be don't be misled either, okay? There is data available to you, relevant data available to you. And to be honest, we can't, we, I'm not I'm, I'm not gonna unpack this whole paper. It's a huge paper, right? They like essentially went and like went to all of these different organizations and they went all to these like, they so they categorized like um, small scale farmers as like natural farming or natural beekeeping or like localized. And it, like it has a sort of like continuum that they present all the way up from commercial then to more like industrial. And so it's like wild that they, their, their method, okay, you know what, maybe, maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, some of the different methods that they use because they, it was a lot of work to kind of get this research done, right? So in order to to actually do this, right, they purchased a lot of raw data from the National Honeybee Ecology, I'm sorry, the, the National Honeybee Colony Management Survey, which was conducted by the Bee Informed Partnership for Beekeepers Reporting. Um, and this would happen during the 2016-2017 um, report. So they then also used the survey, right? So the survey contained 94 questions that encompassed all aspects of honeybee management. And then they used 13 questions that were a little bit more relevant, right, to the variables um, that they were interested in, specifically around in-hive chemicals that were used and the type of feeding equipment and the goals um, of beekeepers and their operations, right? And so ultimately what this paper found, right, was that a lot of the like problems that we're seeing in beekeeping, both in industrial and commercial settings, right? And even in some natural, smaller, sort of localized beekeeping setups is really questionable management practices that all stem, right, from these really, I don't know, like a, a very high dependency on the use of chemicals. And now we have to understand, we have to kind of maybe zoom out, right? We have to understand that a lot of the reason, right, that 
any any scale of beekeeping would need to use chemicals is because of the way that we are destroying the land more generally, right? Like our agricultural systems are incredibly destructive, both for the soil and in terms of like the monocultures that we just produce. It just like destroys lands of nutrients. And so we create these really problematic environmental situations that we then are like, okay, bees, go out, do your thing for us. Thank you. They come back, they're extremely exhausted, they're sick, they're tired, they have parasites. And what? not to mention, right, that they're out here competing in these streets against the pesticides that are being used across wide swaths of land because we're like, oh my gosh, we have to like protect against certain pest bugs, but we also need other bugs to come up into the place. And y'all, if we, I can't talk about the management of agricultural areas, that's, that's going to have to be a whole other episode, but you need to just know that like this whole, why would people even want to use chemicals in the first place when they're managing bees is because of these like larger, more complex landscape scale ecological problems when it comes to the agricultural systems that we have in place. Now, that being said, what did they what did what did the study find? Right. Like what was it kind of like the take home was that it we're, we're going to get into it because I have the I'm going to pull up the discussion um, section, which is honestly my favorite part of any scientific paper that and the abstract because the abstract will give you all the goodies, all the like information that you want to know. And if you're watching now, I literally I, like I have to pull this up on my phone because I originally had it on the screen, but it's like distracting if I'm like trying to read the screen and also be in this video and also like record. So um, just bear with me. <laughs> but essentially, right, they found that there was this kind of continuum, right? It's like this sort of, you could, they found a trend, right? In the increase like as you increase in size of your bee establishment and of your bee of your honey protection and your facility right as that size increases so too does the utilization of these chemicals and these sort of questionable very problematic management strategies that are causing bee collapses all across north america specifically and across the globe more generally right so let me pull up. Let me pull up this part specifically for you, because I thought it was really well worded um, when they when they brought it up here. When it was like, okay, so the survey data showed, right? What did the survey data actually show? And it showed that beekeepers. Um, no, I already told you that it was like mainly tied to the operation size, right? And so they looked at it and they were like, okay, a lot of the largest, the largest in, industrial sort of size. Um, bee situations, bee management situations, right? They were all gung-ho with using, you know, frequent queen bee replacements, artificial insemination, antibiotics, synthetic supplements, right, to support their colonies, either through like syrups, like fructose syrups, and um, uh, as well as uh, like protein syrups. So essentially, why would they even need to give them this is because, um, if you if you're a, like a large scale industrial sort of bee complex situation ship, you have you have very few options available to you. You can either choose to overwinter your bees, so that means you keep them for during the winter, overwinter. Okay, that's literally what it means. And you have to feed them and maintain you know their health and condition. There are granted not many, but some welfare standards in place, right? Um, 
that's one option. The a lot of also people be like, okay, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the energy to like house these bees over winter, so I'll just kill them at the end of the season. So that's something that gets a lot of that too. Now, if these bees are being overwintered, right, and it's an industrial size situation or even a commercial size situation, they take their honey at the onset of fall. Yeah. So at the end of fall, they go in and they remove all of the honey. So everyone is under this assumption, right, that people will be like, oh, no, they only take the honey um, that the bees can afford to lose. And it's like that's not the case for industrial size or commercial sized bee operations. They take all of the honey and harvest it at fall. And that's when the bees need it to survive and go through winter. So it's just a gag It's a gag It. There are... There, I should say that there are differences in the times of harvest. So the study did find that the majority of the small scale farmers um, and the sort of smaller scale bee operations, they didn't do this sort of end of season harvesting. They did it at the beginning of the season after the bees had already like gone through winter and do whatever. So it was literally like the honey that was left over. Um, again, still, still questionable, but this is why that these these practices aren't able to be like i don't know translated to these like larger operations is because of the push globally and locally right for honey consumption right and to just produce mass mass amounts of honey and just get it out there and get it sold right we can't all just be waiting for an entire winter to then see right with what honey remains for us to sell like under capitalism they would never allow it right so yeah, Gagaroni, Gagatrandra. And continuing on with what this sort of paper um, found, right, was that even organic beekeepers, right, they tended to use um, chemicals for managing pest control. And that's because we have to, like, look out, zoom out, and hello, a lot of artificially controlled populations of bee honeybees that are used to make honey, right? They're seeing a huge increase in the amount of parasites that they're experiencing. I think the paper identifies like three major parasites, but the major the major one that they really talk about is um, called the Varroa destructor. And destruct it does, although it's more commonly known as the Varroa mite. And why it's so problematic is because this parasite is actually a vector for viruses like it actually brings viruses up into these hives and then bees get sick and so it's not just like a mite problem but it compounds a disease issue ga 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 gag it's just like really it's so messy that i'm just like why would you with all this information accessible and being presented like why would you actively want to participate in this system right but we will get into that a little bit later i'm going to talk about during that during the what's the sitch um but we'll kind of wrap up the paper here by going that it does it, it it's it's okay, it's interesting it's interesting because it's saying essentially that while there are all these really problematic practices that are commonplace in the largest right operations for for beekeeping and honey production right those aren't 
practice across the board. It's not everyone who is doing the same thing. Not everyone is killing their bees. Not everyone is artificially inseminating the queen. Not everyone is using chemicals, um, be their natural, be their artificial medicines, be it essential oils. Like there are all these different things that people are doing when it comes to bee management. But when we look at the whole picture, right, when we look at the collective impact that human management on honeybee populations is having here in North America, it's detrimental. It's detrimental because we simply cannot control for the variables, right, that are causing huge colony collapses. And even in our attempts to do so, we're actually creating more complex issues and more complex problems. So let's let's give you an example of how we kind of like create more complex issues through this that the kind of paper addresses, which is this idea, right, that some hives who will try to overwinter their bees or will try to provide that sort of like, you know, whatever animal welfare um, sort of <laughs> requirement will be like, okay, let's overwinter them in sort of this like artificial structure that's like much larger than any natural hive would be, right? What that actually then does, it creates the situation where then the following season, the bees work to fill that ridiculously large structure. Right. And so now we have it's very, very common to see reported cases of bees literally working themselves to death. And this is especially so when we put them in larger structures where they literally are just like, I have to fill this with honey. I have to put all of this. I have to do all of this work. And they would never they, they never would have done this out of their own accord because they wouldn't have made a structure to that size. And so it's even in these like manufactured environments that we're managing bees in, that we're creating all of these different problems. And I'm just like, y'all, y'all, you don't, you, we don't, we don't, we, we could just not, right? So now I know I've been kind of talking about different types of conflicts and all of these like different things um, throughout the kind of episode, but we are gonna jump more specifically now into what's the sitch. So what's the sitch? Right. What's the sitch? What 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 what's the sitch? This isn't I did keep this transition because y'all I love Kim Possible, so I had to I had to keep the little boop boop boop. But um yeah. Anyway, moving on to I thought I would do something a little bit different for this what's the sitch. I mean it is a new season, you know, <laughs> new year, new me. So I thought it would be a cute idea to maybe present you, right, with some of the areas of conflict that I think of when I am thinking about bee management and honey production, right? And then I'm gonna ask you a question. And I want you to like, just think about that. Just like literally ponder the question. If you have time, if you're in a space where you like are listening to this podcast, you're like writing something down, like maybe write it down or write down your answer or like, yeah. I want you to, I really want you to genuinely think about a response to this question. Um, because I need us to more collectively start thinking about these complex issues because I, we, I, people can't come up with solutions entirely by themselves. Like we're going to need to work together. So anyway, not trying to give you all homework. It's not that serious. It's not that deep. Just listen to these little facts and then have some little moments of reflection. So the first thing that I want to address, um, a kind of conflict, right, when it comes to bee management, which is especially for commercial and large scale operations, but even those smaller scale, um, more natural operations as defined by that paper that we were talking about in Experiment 66. There, the common practice for first off extracting honey, right, from honey beehives, 
is smoking, right? So this is the most commonplace practice. And I think a lot of people don't understand how that works, why that would work, like how that kind of plays out. And I mean, for me, I didn't understand it either. I genuinely thought that like, they were like smoking them with like, I don't know, herbs or something. And then the bees were just like in a daze and like confused and could not understand or like what was going on. And I was like, not until I started researching for both that post that I made and then this episode that I was like, oh, smoking presents a very large, morally questionable problem, right? So again, not that deep, but just consider this. So why smoking works, why smoking is a strategy is because what it does is it actually tricks the bees into believing right that there is a forest fire happening that's that's essentially what the smoke is doing right it's um it's blocking their pheromone receptors it's it's messing with them they are literally like in a panic state of mind they're like oh my gosh fuck we we have to go we have to get the fuck out this this shit is going to be bad like some of us need to survive but like they it, they literally are like okay shit what do we do so what they do is they gorge they gorge on honey. They're like, <laughs> sorry, if you're watching this now, that might have not been the visual that you wanted, but yeah, they gorge on honey. And then that gorging, right? That immediate sort of gorging and that like stress that makes them incredibly lethargic and then much, much, much more docile and easier to sort of work with when you want to go into these hives and extract the honey from the combs. The question I asked you, is it ethical to put someone in a situation where they genuinely believe they're in a forest fire? Is that, I know that we as humans love to do this all the time. Fire alarm, fire alarm, drill, fire alarm, haha, hashtag drill day. But like, we know that that's happening. And we also have an expectation, right? That even if it, the fire alarm goes off, during a day where we're not expecting it, that it is a drill or that we like will know for a fact that like we will be safe. And maybe I'm speaking from like a very privileged position because I have never been in a fire during like school hours, but I just think that it's like, we all collectively have a, a very different um, view and mentality around fire alarms and like fake fires than bees do. Um, especially considering their immediate reaction is literally to be like, oh, fuck, take all these resources, eat it, okay, ah! Like, that is, is it, do, do you think that that is morally justifiable, right? That this is the common, most common practice is smoking them out. And that that is the impact that it has on the individuals, right? And on the hive collectively. Do you think that that is justifiable? First question. Next question is, we're going to move into the harvesting kind of like management practices that I think are really questionable that are causing some drama mama throughout the bee population, both firstly within these sort of artificial human labor camp bee situations, right? Where it's like, okay, so the artificial facilities that we're keeping them in, right? And the fact that we actually practice artificial insemination of the queen a lot of the time, right, is collected, like, because this is a super common practice, 
over huge areas and over a lot of time, we've reduced the gene pool of honeybees and bees that are producing honey. And it's like, did, did, did y'all clock what happened to potatoes in Ireland? Like, do you know what happens when there is not genetic diversity? Like, it becomes so easy for diseases to spread, for parasites to spread, if all of y'all are super related or become like, you know, like just suit, like it's just, this is this is why the royals travel with their own freaking refrigerator of blood is because they're so in bed, they're so their own little situation that like no one can provide them with the goodies that they need if they get sick. And that's the same situation. It's why you need genetic diversity. It's why you can't just be doing all this, this inbreeding, all this selective breeding, all this mm -mm -mm, selecting only for a few genes because then you have these huge problems. If you didn't understand the potato reference, um, a quick little aside, essentially there was this potato blight um, that happened in Ireland that caused the potato famine. And it was all because, uh, well, not all because, but essentially the fact of the time was like you cut the potato and you throw it and then the potato starts a new root. And so you have a lot of like genetically identical potatoes and then the potato blight happened and it ruined all of the potatoes and then there was nothing to harvest. And then it was actually a really big mess. So maybe not the, not the best example to bring up, but again, the importance of genetic diversity, right, is that you need it. <laughs> you need it to protect yourself, to safeguard against diseases and parasites that then come up into your space and have the potential to wipe out your entire community, right? And so my next question is, like, knowing that this is commonplace, knowing that now we have this situation, right, where the genetic diversity of honeybees is relatively limited and continuing to be limited by our practices for artificial insemination, right? Do you think that you can justify supporting the honey industry as a collective? Like just collectively, like can you can you justify human consumption of honey knowing how this is how our collective management strategies have played out for the entire working population of honeybees, right? Gag, gag, second question. Third question as I'm gonna bring it to you is in relation to other bees, other, other, other pollinators who are up in this space, okay? Like y'all, honeybees are out here directly so again speaking from the situation of north america honeybees are directly competing with native bee populations for resources right and here in canada granted we do have a lot of we have a lot of agriculture going on so you know there's a lot of areas for honeybees to like go up and do their due but what happens when you're bringing these like sickly exhausted parasite ridden populations up into the same space with these natural populations. You're increasing that risk, right, of transferring these diseases and these parasites over to naturalized populations. So again, my question then poses to you is like, is that a justifiable threat to put onto native populations of bees for consumption of honey by honeybees, right? Especially knowing that we the, the role of honeybees isn't dependent on humans consumption of honey like we bees won't die out if no one's out there eating their honey like bees won't start collecting more pollen if people just don't eat their honey like th these 
these intrinsic processes that bees participate in when it comes to pollinization, when it comes to storing resources over winter, like these things don't, they don't need human participation, participation, sorry, in order to continue. So again, throwing it back to why are you out here consuming honey? Are you consuming honey? If so, after listening to this, will you potentially stop consuming honey? This is these, these are the conversations that I kind of want to have. And this is kind of the complexities I'm going to try to be bringing into season two, because I know I know that season one was a little messy, messy, but I really am trying to step up the game, manifest the situationship for moving up in terms of just having more complex and nuanced conversations around our human wildlife interactions and our just relationships with animals more generally. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be wildlife I'm gonna be talking about on this show. And it's not the case now because if, if y'all didn't clock it already, honeybees are very much domesticated. They are very much managed and treated very similarly to how we treat livestock populations, right? There isn't, a lot of people have this very false idea that honeybees are somehow natural or like this beautiful, like intrinsic part of the natural landscape. It's like that maybe, maybe the case um, originally. And for those who are not working for us, but those who are in like direct servitude for our economies and for our own conception, it's just like, oh. <sighs> we need we need we need to maybe reassess. We need to maybe reassess because it's not the T. It's not the B. It's not the B for me. That's the buzz. And that's the buzz on bees. That's the buzz on bees. I'll leave y'all with this a little fun little tidbitty fact because I don't want the episode to seem too heavy. Did you know that bees originally evolved from wasps? I know. Okay, so I was reading about this theory. So there's this like paper that came out, and apparently the, the the most common theory within the sort of scientific world is that a common ancestor way back when, right, actually started even eating like because wasps are predatory, so they eat like the larvae of like other insects, and so there was this one wasp once upon a time that started eating like more and more larvae that were just like coated in pollen. And then over time, this like diet changed, created like an overall shift, and then created this sort of species situation where they're like, oh my gosh, pollen over prey. And that's why we have bees. But then again, you know, evolution doesn't exist within a vacuum. So at the same time, plants are evolving. They're, you know, sweeter nectar is coming into the game. Longer stems are coming into the game. And then again, bees are also evolving with those changes in the landscape. And so longer tongues are evolving and bam. So now we have the situation where we have bees instead of just wasps. And if you can't believe <laughs> what you heard this episode, be sure to go and give a positive review over on Instagram or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this from. Um, and if you do want, you know, that extra data, that extra information, the sources, the citing, the figures, the facts, head on over to Patreon. Head on over to Patreon, because that is the labor that I am happy to engage in, but for those who find value in it. So head on over to patreon.com slash J. Otherwise, continue to consume this free content um, every week here on Zabuma Foolish. Okay, y'all, I gotta go. <laughs> Have a good day. Ooh,
Peru, 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 Peru,